script Sure, excuse me, my, my brain just went sideways. Scripture memory verse tonight, Proverbs 1.23, Turn it my rebuke, and I will pour out my spirit upon you, or on you, and make my word known to you. Proverbs 1.23. Anybody else? Proverbs 1.23, Turn it my rebuke, and surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. Where is it at? We always want things. Good job, James. We, we we like to say the address before and then say the scripture and then repeat the address. And it helps kind of just ground it in your memory. I had a bunch of verses that I don't know the address of them because that wasn't grounded into me when I was younger. And so I know the verses and I can quote them to you, but I don't know their addresses all the time. And of course, I can look them up. But I, I like to get people to say it before and after, and it gives you a little bit more homework, but it also helps you to uh, remember where it's at. And of course, you don't have to know where it's at. If you're going to share it with somebody um, in the streets or in your family or someplace at an at a, a event, you don't have to give them that address. But if they go, really, is that true? Where's that at? Then you know where it's at already because you know the address. So I always try to encourage people and listen, the more you hide this word in your heart and in your mind, the more you, that God will force out the old you. It pushes out the old things that you used to know, like lyrics to song. you got to make room in there for it. Anybody else? Proverbs 123? You can read it if you'd like. Good job. Anybody else? Proverbs one twenty three. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Proverbs one twenty three. Good job. Anybody else? Good job, honey. Again, it's not legalism. We're trying to learn the word. We're trying to hide the word in our heart. <clears throat> trying to meditate on the word uh, and find out the truth because that's what God wants to do. He wants to make his words known to us. God's not trying to hide from us. God come down from heaven. He come to earth and he wants us to hear that he is here and that hope is here and that salvation is here. So he's not trying to hide from us. Anybody else before we start? Read it, quote it. Do you know it? Did you meditate on it this week? We give one every week uh, so that you can meditate on it and see what God would say to you. <clears throat> Okay, well, let's look at it. Turn, of course, at my reproof, King James. Turn at my reproof. But I, I really want to get some context. Turn, of, of course, obviously, listen, you might be thinking repent, but it really has the connotation to turn back or to keep turning. See, I believe that repentance is the way of life. 
Listen, we're constantly repenting because we're not perfected yet. And God wants to work on us constantly. He's purifying us. And so he's going to always be showing us something that's in our life so that we can agree with him. And when you agree with God, you're turning to him and you're repenting of the way you thought it was. You're repenting of the thing that you did. So what he wants us to do is to turn. But what's he asking us to turn, to continue to turn? Why are we turning? Let's go back. Now, I could do the whole chapter because I love chapter one of Proverbs. Actually, I love all of Proverbs. It's a great book written by the wisest man ever uh, who lived that was not God, Solomon. And then some of them were obviously compiled by him. But listen, let's look back and uh, let's start. Ooh, let's just start in verse 7. That's a ways to go, but I'm just going to read some of it and move a little quickly and we'll get through this. Uh, it's pretty amazing, though. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of knowing, the beginning of learning. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I don't know if you noticed that right there, but, but it seems like knowledge is tied to wisdom and instruction, right? And it's, it's really important that you know that you can know everything. But wisdom is to know when. To, to use it, when to say it, when to speak it, how to use it. Sometimes it's just better to be quiet and not to cast your pearls before swine. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools who have said in their heart, no to God, um, they hate wisdom and instruction. Now hang on to that. See, because the fool has said in his heart, no to God. That's in the Bible twice. The fool says no. The fool doesn't turn at his rebuke. The fool does not turn at his reproof. The fool thinks, I'm okay where I'm at. I'm okay the way I am. My goodness will get me into heaven. My ways are going to be fine. You know, and I know you guys know that in 910, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all of life. It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When you gain knowledge of the Holy One, and of course, uh, Jesus is the Holy One, and Jesus is the wisdom of God, according to 1 Corinthians one twenty four. He is the wisdom of God. Look at it in, in, in uh, Proverbs 8. That could be some homework. You see the wisdom of God. Here, we're getting ready to see it in a minute be personified. It's going to become a person. The wisdom of God is going to become a person like a Christophany. We're Christ in the flesh. We're going to see that God sent his wisdom. He sent his heart. He sent his love. He sent his person down in the person of Jesus Christ um, to save souls that were lost. But fools despise that message. Fools despise this wisdom. Fools don't want this instruction. My son... Hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Now notice, what do we do on our, this time, in those days, they would put ornaments on their head, they would put chains, and this is how they look. It's actually jewelry. And so, listen, it doesn't matter what you look like. Earthly adornment is not going to save you. Uh, earthly clothes are not going to save you. 
But when it's wisdom of God, when it's the knowledge of God, when it's instruction from God, then you know, you can tell a tree by its fruit. You know when somebody's been listening to God and surrendering to God and drawing near to God. It's like jewelry. It makes them attractive. It makes them beautiful. It, it makes them, you want to look at them. You want to talk to them to gain those nuggets. And that's what, that's what the father is saying here. And of course, it's uh, uh, like David telling Solomon this as he raised him up uh, in the palace there of the king. And he says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Listen, listen, we're sinners. And other sinners are going to entice us. They're going to go, come on and run with me, big dog. Let's go. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's go out here and do what we want to do because we're going to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. Listen, if sinners entice you, say no. Do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Listen to me. Death culture is always trying to shed blood. They're killing babies. They're killing God. They're killing anything they can kill. They try to kill the entire meaning of the blood of Jesus. They're always trying to kill, 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 and destroy. That's what the enemy does. And you're going to see blood used three times in this text. Well, we're going to turn from this. This is the life of the unbeliever. This is the life of the sinner. This is the life that joins together and follows the earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom of the world and pursues those things. But God's going to tell us in verse 23 to turn when you hear truth, to turn when you hear his reproof, to turn from that life when you hear the truth of God because there's going to come a time when the Spirit of God convicts every person that's ever born of sin and righteousness and judgment. Every one of us are sinners. Christ is the only righteous, and there's going to be a judgment one day for our sin. And the only way to pass that judgment and go into heaven is to trust in Jesus' righteousness, to believe in him. And that's what the Holy Spirit is in the world doing. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you and I to convict others of that. The Holy Spirit wants to use you and I to shine that light. How do you shine the light? You just tell the truth. You just speak the scripture to people, and that convicts them of sin and righteousness and judgment because this is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and that's what we need. See, I'm a sinner in the flesh, and, and if I don't turn and I don't have it rightly divided, I'm never going to know what spiritual things are. I'm going to think I'm okay. But when you hear the truth, that sword cuts. And they go, man, I don't want to be around him. He's always talking about Jesus. He's always talking about truth. He's always shining that flashlight in my face. We go out to feed the animals at night, and my little grandson goes out with me, and I, and I got sick of trying to use my phone, so I got them little lights you put on your head, right? And you, you like workmen use, and you walk into the yard. You don't have to have anything on while you're gathering the eggs and you're taking care of the animals. And he always looked at me and goes, right, Papa? And I'm like, dude, quit looking at me. You're blinding me. I can't see nothing in the dark. Right, Papa? And he's got the brightest one because I got the old one. So it's funny when he shines his light right in my face. Nobody really likes that. But when you are introduced to light, when you hear truth, you have to react to it. You have to say, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to despise it, hate it, say no to it? Am I going to be a fool who says no to God? Or am I going to turn 
at that light and receive it. And then become part of that light or be that light as Jesus says in Matthew 5. We are the light of the world now. He's living through us. His spirit shines through us. We go out and shine the light on others. Let's look at 11 again. If they say, and they're going to say, come with us. Now you might say, well, they don't really say that, do they? Yeah, they're calling to you. You're going to see it in them. And they call to you. They say, come. But see, Jesus bids us come. He says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself, for my burden is easy, and my, and my yoke is light. You, do you want the rest? Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Don't have to have any reason. It's just sinners sin, and they don't have to have a reason to shed innocent blood. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol. See, the grave swallows alive. That's what Sheol is, is the grave. This is speaking of murder and a hole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Look at this. Because see, the, root of, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the root of it. Uh, what can I get out of this? What can I gain out of this? And look what's happening. They're going to get a bunch of precious possessions. And I'm going to fill my house full of spoil. But it's all a lie. Cast in your lot among us and let us all have one purse. Anybody see one world government? Come on, everybody go the same way. Everybody do the same thing. We're going to have one world government. We're going to have one world currency. We're all going to cast in our lot together. We're going to shed the blood of the innocent. That's getting ready to happen on our planet, people. We need to wake up to what's going on. One purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Now notice, see, because Proverbs are written sometimes contrasting one line and then the next. They contrast each other. And then sometimes they're written with a parallelism where they parallel. They say the same thing. Here, this is kind of, uh, it's interesting because he talks about your walk, which is how you're walking your gait. It's how you're living. But what does he say? He says, don't even open the bag. Don't eat, you can't just eat one. Don't even open the bag. Because what's he say? He says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Just keep your foot completely away from their path. Don't even put your foot out there like I can do it a little bit. I can do it some. I can put my foot in their path. I can be over there. Listen to me. You don't want to go there. You want to keep your feet from their path because it's not going to end well. Because their feet run the evil and they make haste to shed blood. They want murder. Death culture wants to kill. If you don't obey them, they want to kill you. Now, I got to go to Psalms 1. So go to Psalms 1 with me. When you want to start talking about walking, this is where you always want to go. Because the two paths and the two roads and the two lives are outlined perfectly in Psalms 1. Psalms 1 says this. Blessed, You want to be blessed? You want to be blessed by God? Blessed is the man, the child, the person 
who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't want the counsel of the ungodly. You don't want their advice. You don't want their purpose. You don't want their teaching. You don't want to cast your lot in with them. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Listen to me. Notice the progression. Notice the progression. First, they put their foot in there, just like we just seen in Proverbs. Put their foot out there. Then what were they doing, Greg? Then they began to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And then after walking with the ungodly for a while, what did they do, Greg? Oh, well, they became one of the gurus, and they began to stand with them. It, it, it started with just putting your foot in their path. Listen, don't even go there. Your feet are washed by Jesus. If you know Jesus, what does he say in the last night of his life? John chapter 13. Peter says, are you washing my feet, Lord? He says, "Not. just let it be so for now. You don't know what I'm doing, but later you will know. See, Jesus washes our feet. When you believe, when you turn at the word of God, your feet are washed. Don't put them back out there in the walk of the world, in the sway of the world, in the earthly, central, demonic wisdom. Because your eyes have been open. Listen to me. So don't start walking with them. When you start walking, what you're doing is you're listening to their counsel, their preaching, their teaching, their advice, their earthly, central, demonic wisdom. And what you're going to end up doing is you're going to go, oh, that does sound pretty good. You know, I like this church over here because they say you can drink all you want. And it's okay. You get to go to heaven. I like their counsel. I like their advice. I like their teaching. Oh, well, wait a minute. I like this church over here, too, because they say all you got to do is blab it and grab it. And you just you just take the seed of God, and you just claim it, and there it is. It's yours for the taking. And they come up with all this false doctrine that's not biblical. We need to let God remain on the throne of our lives. You can't just claim something or say something or speak something into existence. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So when you begin to walk with them, though, then you stand there with them and you believe what they're saying. And you get interested and you go, wow, this sounds really good. This is better than what God really said. This is better than what the Bible really says. This right here fits my flesh. It makes me feel good and I still think I'm okay. Listen to me. If you get into the word of God, yes, there's love. Yes, there's mercy. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's, but there's wisdom that comes from this instruction, from this teaching. There's wisdom that comes, and God is stepping on your heart. Somebody says, you're stepping on my toes. I'm kind of mad at you. I was aiming for your heart. I'm looking at your heart. I'm wanting your heart to change, not your toes. If you let your toes get stepped on, then that's physical, and you're receiving the word of God only in the physical sense. You're not coming with intentionality to hear God speak to you and change you into the image of the living God, into the person that Jesus is, and into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you stand in their path, you put your foot in their path, and you give them any room in your heart, the devil will steal everything from you. Because then you'll be walking with them, standing with them. Then what happens, Greg? You sit down in the seat with them. You sit down with them. Now they're part of your fellowship. They, you believe them. You're sitting there. I remember this going on in my life. I don't know if you remember going on in your life, but in my life, when I put my foot in, I cast my lot in with them, 
Then all of a sudden I was walking with them, I was standing with them, and then I was sitting with them, and I began to teach others and disciple others in how to use drugs, how to do crime, how to be a sinner, how to do it really good, how to be a con, how to be deceptive, all of those things. And I thought I was doing good because I was helping people. And see, you can twist things around to where I'm helping them, and we have an entire, an entire culture out here that, that is going on every day. They think they're helping somebody, and they're really killing them because they're, they're putting a pillow under their head. They're, they're letting them do nothing, yet they're giving them stuff. And they're going, oh, we're taking care of them. This is the gospel. No, it's not the good news. The good news is, is that God died for us. Christ died for us, and he gives you life. But he wants you to get up and be intentional about how you're living your life, about how you're getting into the Word, about how you know that the enemy's trying to kill you, and you've got a plan about this, and your plan is the blood of Jesus. Your plan is the Word of God, prayer, and fellowship, because you cannot see the spiritual realm, and the enemy is going to kill you. He will pulverize you, and you'll be thinking, I'm okay, I went to church this week. No, you're dying. You're dying inside, and you're allowing the enemy to steal the blood of Jesus from your life. Look, here it is, here it is, here it is. Psalms 1, verse 2, this is the person that's blessed. His delight, listen, his desire, his pleasure is in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And he, in his law, he meditates day and night. You're like, day and night, what am, I, what am I supposed to work? Listen, carry it around with you. Meditate on it. That's why we memorize scripture. You want to know what's going on. Lord, I was reading the scripture, Lord, and that was a big old bone. That's a piece of meat. What does that mean? I'm going to carry that around this week because the pastor said this, and I'm going to carry that around and meditate on it. I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to say, Lord, what does that mean in my life? And I'm going to be intentional about understanding and allowing the Spirit of God to make his words known to me because he wants you to know his words. He wants you to hear his voice. Think about it. When the scripture says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Doesn't that mean that he wants you to know, to hear his voice and to know his words and know what he means? There's a lot of people that twist scripture, but he wants you to hear his voice, know he's a good God and follow him so that you'll be led in the safe way, in the path where you're supposed to go. Not let sinners entice you and you're in the way with them. And so when you meditate in the word day and night, what happens, Greg? Well, what you say here in three, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Look at that. You start to build some roots. If you want to do it in an evil way, you'll build some roots, but that tree is going to die. You do it in a godly way, you begin to bear fruit. That tree is getting planted by the water, the Holy Spirit. He's poured out his spirit upon you. He's gushing out upon you, and he brings forth fruit in the season that he wants it, but you're being prepared. You're being intentional. And in his season, in his time, Right when somebody walks up and you're at the gas station, you're like, I'm in a hurry. And then all of a sudden it's time to share and you share and God uses you and he brings fruit out of what you've been intentional about learning. And your leaf doesn't wither. There's always a freshness in the gospel. I'm a pretty excitable person. And 25 years ago, they said, oh, that'll wear off. 
That pink cloud will go away. I don't think it's went away. I'm still excited about the Word of God. I still love this because it's the Spirit of God. And I'm not pointing it at me because if you want to ask my wife, she'll tell you how bad I really am. But I still stay in the water. I want to be planted by the tree of life. I want to be an oak of righteousness. I want to have my heart turned toward home, not just continue to put my foot in the path of these liars and deceivers and murderers. The spirit of Antichrist is out here to deceive the elect if it were possible. Where are you living at? What are you doing? What are you intentional about? Go back to our text. You can read the rest of it. Listen, when you walk, You'll end up standing and listening, and then you'll sit down with them. You'll be partying once again right in the same chair. You'll be believing what they say. Maybe you'll be in their colleges and their institutions and sitting in the chair, and they'll be indoctrinating you with the lies of death culture. I don't know. But I want to sit in God's throne room. I want to sit with Him. I want to walk, stand, and sit with Him. I want to hear truth. And He says, if you turn at my rebuke, and we're all born looking the wrong way and we don't even know it. Where was we at? There we go. 15. 16. Uh, don't walk in their path. Don't put your foot in it. For their feet run to evil. Listen, does a man of God, does a woman of God want to run to evil? That's their character. That's their nature. Now, a man of God or a woman of God might stumble into evil, might fall into it. We might, we might sin. Uh, but we're learning to sin less because we're practicing righteousness. We're not running because we started putting our feet in their path straight to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. See that? They're still they're waiting to shed blood, verse 11. They're making haste to shed blood, verse 16. We're going to see in 18, they lie in wait to shed blood. It begins to become their lifestyle to kill death culture. You see it all over the streets right now. Death culture. How can somebody look at you in the face and argue that killing a baby in the womb is okay? It's a, it's a blob of matter. It has a heartbeat. Oh, my goodness. We're going to talk about it on Sunday some, too. Look at verse 17. Surely... Not Shirley McLean. In vain, Shirley McLean's a liar and a deceiver from the devil. Uh, you guys don't even know who that is. I must be old, huh? In vain, the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Now listen, you know, what are you, bird brains? Think about it. I got that written in my Bible because I'm a bird brain sometimes. There's the net. I see the trap and I step right in it and go, oh, well, that's stupid. Why would you put your foot in that? trap right there because we're a bunch of sinners all of us are but we got to practice righteousness we got to do the right thing and you see it it's right there in the path all you got to do is go around and you got to say wait a minute i'm not walking there i'm not putting my foot there i'm not casting my lot into death culture lord jesus help me here because i'm being tempted but they lie and wait for blood they lurk secretly for their own lives. What? You see that? You see that? They think they're going out to stumble somebody else. See, there's no deception except for self-deception. 
And what they're doing is their own life. They're secretly confirming their own heart. They're hardening their own heart. They're practicing their own sin. And they might, you might think they're after somebody else's blood. But listen, if you believe their message, you're just joining with them. And you're all going to go down in the same boat, the same fruit, the same place. They lie in wait for their own blood. Really. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Now that's a weird word. But remember I said that the love of money is the root of all evil. See their power and their greed for money and, and, and everything is what this begins at. But if you look at this word in the Hebrew. Oh, we're there. Greedy means covetousness. It means covetousness. It means to be given over to covetousness, to want. And see, now there's nothing wrong with wanting things, but when you have a desire for evil things or the wrong things, and I don't know if you know it, there's a, gr there's a great argument that the very first rebellion or sin that was ever committed was covetousness. The devil coveted the throne of God the power of God, the praise and the worship of God. And in his pride, after coveting him for a while, in his pride, he said, I'm going to go get it. He made a plan. So many people believe that covetousness is the first thing that happened. When he's seen it, he coveted it. And then in his pride, he began to plan how I'm going to get that. And he convinced a third of the angels to fall with him, and they were booted out of heaven. And so this is why it's so important that we're careful uh, not to be one of those that is greedy or covets gain, gain of this world. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So you begin coveting, you begin going after, you begin thinking, if I keep up with the Joneses, if I would just have this, I would be happy. If I would just get after that, I'd be happy. And then you begin worshiping prosperity. You begin worshiping greed. You begin, wor begin worshiping, and you're just being, having a heart of covetousness. And I could go into the New Testament. We could talk all day about this. Be careful what you're greedy for, what you covet. We need to be pursuing Jesus, putting him first, coveting, having a relationship with him, to have him on our throne, have him as our strength, our power, our might. Get in the word and learn what he has to say to us. Or, if we're not careful, our foot is stuck into their walk. You know how people say they live with one foot in the world and one foot? Two different places. And that's divided. You can't love one or you'll hate the other. You can't love them both. You've got to do one or the other. Where's your feet at? Because covetousness, greediness, prosperity, it takes away the life of its owners. Isn't that what death culture wants to do? Take away life? Jesus is offering us salvation. He's offering us his breath. He's offering us life. And when we go worshiping other things and coveting other things and pursuing things that we're not supposed to pursue, it takes away your life. You give it your strength. Proverbs talks about this all the time. Wisdom. Uh-oh, here we go. Now we're going to have a contrast. Listen to me. Here comes the contrast. You have, you have uh, uh, sinners trying to entice you. Sinners calling to you. Sinners saying, come with us. Throw in your lot with us. We'll all have one purse. You have the earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom of the governments of this world. And now wisdom 
Listen to me. Verse 20, wisdom calls aloud outside. Listen, she personifies, becomes a person. She raises her voice in the open squares, in the marketplace, at the openings of the gate of the city. That's where the leaders would meet. Biblically, all the leaders, all the governing authorities would meet at the gate. Everything would be decided at the gate, right at the gate of the city. If you were sitting in the gate of the city, they seen you as one of the leaders, one of the elders, if you were there all the time. Remember Absalom? He stole David's throne. He was at the gate. David was in the throne room being lazy, being complacent. Absalom was at the gate going, oh boy, if there was somebody here to judge, you know what, if I could judge, I would do this for you and that for you. And he won everybody's friendship. So that's what the world does to you. The world's always there with their answers, but their answers are lies, and they win your heart. They steal your heart. You begin to covet what the world has, and it makes you lose your own soul. Instead of drawing near to God, if you're going to put your eggs in a basket, put them in this basket. If you're going to be a puppet for somebody, be a puppet for God. Surrender to God today. This is where the truth is at. And if you turn at his rebuke, he'll pour out his spirit upon you and make this word known to you. But we have to turn. We'll get there in a minute. Wisdom is what's doing what? Calling loud. Listen, God calls loud. Nobody, nobody can go, you know what? I was down on earth and I didn't hear you calling. Listen, he calls loud. Everybody hears the call of God. I know there's all these crazy questions. What about them pygmies that are over there in that one place? And they Listen, God calls aloud. He's taking care of that. You don't have to come up with a, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? You know, you don't have to come up with them questions that nobody can answer. That's not trying to surrender to God. That's not trying to turn. That's not answering the call. That's trying to come up with a reason that I can go on living in sin. I can go on doing my own thing. I can go on chasing blood and, and throwing my lot in with the world. This is not our home. This is a courtroom, and you're on trial wisdom calls aloud outside she raises her voice in the open squares look she cries out in the chief concourses all in the major places and at the openings of the gates of the city what does she do Greg she speaks her words four times you hear that the word of God wisdom is calling in four different ways she, she, she calls she raises her voice she cries out she speaks her words Wisdom is everywhere. God is everywhere. You can't escape from God. And he's crying out to you. He wants to make his word known to you. Look, actually, look, uh, Colossians 2, New Testament. Colossians 2. I can read it. You can look with me. Great book. Church in Colise. 2.1. Paul writing to the church in uh, Colossae, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. Do you have any conflict for people? Listen to me. Listen to me. Do you see where Paul's heart is at? Just starting with that very first line. He has a conflict for them. He wants them to know the truth. And they're still trying to live some other way. And here's a conflict. He's, he's pursuing them. He's trying to give them the truth of God and get them to do the right thing. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. Uh-oh. 
Is that mentioned in Revelation? Man, we could just take this Bible study all over the place if we want. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. What's he trying to encourage? Their hearts. Being knit together in love. This is what the body does. And attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. This is what God wants to show us. If he pours out his spirit, he'll make his words known and it'll give us all of this mystery, both of the Father and of Christ. Notice the Holy Spirit's the one that's writing through Paul. So all the Trinity is involved in this. But listen here, this is what I wanted you to see, verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where are you going to find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? The true riches. Not the ones you cast in your lot. Not the ones you chase down here. Not the ones you covet. Not the ones you think that you're going to gain the whole world and lose your soul. But you want to search out the treasures and, and th the wisdom that is hidden in the Father and in His Son. In the Father and in His Messiah, the Christ, the Mashiach of God. Well, who is the Mashiach of God? Who is the wisdom of God? Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us clearly who the wisdom of God is. And it also tells you that if you're following the earthly, central, demonic wisdom, the wisdom of this world, the flesh of this world, God ain't calling you. Watch this. 124. Oh, let's start in 120. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Turtly, sensual, and demonic. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. Show me a sign. Show me a sign. And Greeks seek after wisdom. They're really intellectual. They're, they're the kinds that sit around and pontificate about nothing all the time and make up little kingdoms. And they're trying to force that power upon you right now. Uh, and it's falsehood. It's not even real. It doesn't line up with reality. But what do we do, Greg? Verse 23. But we... See, Paul puts it with us. It's all of us. It's not just Paul... We preach Christ crucified. What? To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. That's not the sign we want. The Messiah died? We were looking for a conquering Savior, a conquering Messiah. To the Greeks, oh, excuse me, uh, and to the Greeks' foolishness. See, the, the Greeks are like, oh, no, we're, we're strong. We, we're intellectually, we're smart. And for somebody to be crucified, this is dumb. They died. See, so it's foolishness to them. Don't forget, we're talking about fools here. Don't forget, he says, the fool has said in his heart, no to God. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools hate wisdom and instruction. When I started in 1-7. But to those who are called, who's he calling to? Who's he raising his voice to? Who's he crying out to? Whosoever will believe. 
but to those who are called, both the Jews and the Greeks, that's everybody ever born, Christ is, or excuse me, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. So that's what we want. Wisdom personified is Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And you can go on and finish 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a lot there because he doesn't call those who think they don't need a doctor. He doesn't call those who think they are strong and rich and wise and intellectual. He calls those that are broken hearted. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls to those who admit they're sinners, that they're wretched. There's a lot of people in churches that pretend and play, but he wants those that will come and be real and honest with him. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries in the chief concourses at the openings of the gate in the city. Verse... Uh, she speaks her words. Verse 22, how long? Huh? How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? Now, simple ones and, and simplicity is the same word in the Hebrew. For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools hate wisdom and instruction. So fools hate God. Fools hate Christ. Fools hate the Messiah. That's what he's saying here. How long, you simple ones? Do you know what the word simple means? You can look it up if you want. The word simple? No. Close. Means Greg. No. Um, simple means seducible. Silly, foolish. See, simple is somebody who won't listen to truth, won't listen to wisdom. And if you won't believe this is truth, then you're seducible. Then they can beguile you to put your foot in their path. You're going to end up in death culture. But when you believe the truth, you're not seducible anymore. You can't be beguiled. The devil seduced Eve with his con. His confidence gain. Are we seducible? Do we have a heart to know truth or a heart to be seduced? Listen, how long, how long, you seducible ones, will you love being seduced? See, sin is good for a season. And we love sin. Unless we learn that it leads to death when it's full blown. Unless we receive the truth and we say, no more seducing me because the love of God is greater. The love of God that's been poured out and shed abroad is greater than me being seduced and having sinned for a little time. I want the rewards of heaven. Think about it with Moses. You guys remember Moses? Let's just read it. I'll read it. I'll read it. Let me find it up here. It's Hebrews 11. You remember Moses? Got to find it. Give me a minute. I'm looking. Am I lost? Where's Moses at in Hebrews 11? Oh, by faith, it's 1123. 
We're in Proverbs 1, 23, 11, 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. The king was commanding to kill all the babies, right? They know what the government's doing today, kill all the babies? Listen, Moses means one drawn out. He was drawn out. He was called by God. He heard God and he followed. Listen, though, where was he called out of? By faith, Moses, one drawn out. That's how faith, you come out by faith. You come out from the concourses of this world. You come out from putting your foot in their lives and death culture. By faith, one drawn out when he became of age. See, there's an age of accountability. Refused. Pay attention to this. Refused is getting ready to be here. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He wasn't going to be a lie. I'm not born of you. I'm not part of this government. I'm not part of this home. I was raised in this world of Egypt, in the palaces, in this culture, but this is not my home. So choosing, what did he choose? He chose to turn at my rebuke. Look at this. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. This is the choice you have to make today. You can choose sin. You can choose Egypt. You can choose the concourses of this world to, to, to walk, stand, and set. Or you can choose God. Look what he says. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. See, Egypt is a type of the world for us. For he looked to the reward. Where are you looking today? Where's your eyes fixed? Are they in heaven where your life truly is hidden in Christ? Listen, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Are you guys afraid of the wrath of the king? Are you guys afraid what the king might do? I'm not. Not the kings of this world. I, 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 I'm afraid of the one that can take my soul and cast it into hell. I fear him, but I don't fear nothing down here. Because God's got this. He bought me with his blood. And all you can do now is kill me. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why should I fear anything down here? Oh, I know. There might be a little bit of apprehension. And you go, man, there's a guy down in that dark alley with a gun. Well, then you got some common sense. Use some wisdom. Don't go down in a dark alley. Then you ain't got to fear nothing. Just stay out of the alley. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's how you see the invisible is by faith. Look, what do you say in 11.1? 1? Faith is the substance that things hope for, the evidence of things not seen. So by faith you and I are enduring through this pain and suffering and everything that this world has to offer so we can see the invisible God one day. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Delusion, you think you can go where God's not at? Delusion, you think you can cross over when God's not with you? God's not calling you, you're persecuting his people. 
That's delusion. This is all types. I mean, we could talk for days on this. We could go back to Genesis and look at it for days. Listen to me. Listen to me. Fools hate knowledge. Knowing the truth, learning the truth, following the truth. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's one road, one path, one way, and you can follow it. You don't have to keep putting your feet in the path of others that are lying to you. He says here, now we're going to get on it and we'll move on and we'll get done with this about another hour. Um, turn. Turn. Continue to turn. Proverbs 6.23. Now listen, I read the Proverbs every day. I try to read them every day for the day, for the date. I try to do that. I've been doing it for 25 years. Turn. Proverbs 6.23 says, the law is a lamp and and the word is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of correction are the way of life. That's how this life works. He keeps reproving us. And he says here, turn at my reproof. Did you have a question? Was you raising your hand or was you turning? No, I was, uh, I was saying that, I thought you were saying that 623 was 123. Oh, no. Yeah, 623. Yeah. You're fine. Turn. Keep turning, keep repenting, keep believing. Because listen, being of one mind with God and of a good conscience, as Paul said he was, is agreeing with God. You can't, you can't disagree with God and say, I've got a good conscience with God. I just disagree because I think that you should be able to do homosexual marriage. I just disagree. I think that you should be able to do fill in the blank, kill babies, whatever it is that this world is doing. Don't put your foot in their, their earthly, central, demonic wisdom. God didn't leave anything out. It's not the 21st century and we're finding out that things are much different than God thought they were. No, he created it all. He's outside of time. He knows the truth. And when you consent, you're casting in your lot. You're making your purse part of them. You're saying that's okay. I say it's not okay. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to agree. It's very hard for me, no matter where I'm at, when I'm at, if somebody says something that's false about God or false about worshiping God, to just remain silent. Because you know what happens? It's the first verse that God ever showed me. Where's that at, honey? Yeah, I gotta ask my wife. Isn't it 12? Uh, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Where's that at, honey? Come on and help me, baby. You're not here. I'll find it. Give me a minute. What are you saying? I know where it's at. What, are you, what, are you, what is it? Um, she should be in here telling me. Do not answer. Is it chapter 12? I'll get it for you here in a minute. I know exactly where it's at in my Bible. My wife come to me the very first time she asked me about a scripture. And I was like, oh my goodness, we found a contradiction in the Bible. Where's that at, honey? 26, four, honey, your honey, or your baby. Oh, 26? <laughs> is it 26? 26, four. Okay. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. And remember, we're talking about fools here. Get this. Fool has said no to God. But then verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. And it sounds like a contradiction. And she brought me that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, Lord. And he said, uh, uh, 
my spirit out upon you and make your words known to you. I said, what is this, Lord? And he says, you don't answer them in according to their folly. In other words, you're, if somebody gives you a stupid answer, you don't answer them stupidly. But you answer them according to their stupidity with godly wisdom. So you answer them. You don't want them to remain there in the room acting like they're wise when they're really in their folly, when they're really death culture. You answer them according to their folly to make sure they know that they are wrong. And you put them in your place. You rebuke them just like God would. It's yes? Kind of like, it's kind of like how Jesus did in the Gospels. Throughout the Gospels, when the Pharisees would ask a question trying to trick him up, he would answer them. But it's kind of like that. Yeah. How you deal with that? Yeah, would say, they would say stuff to trip him up, and he would, instead of entering into their argument or entering into their world of demonic wisdom, he would just answer them and they would go, what do you want us to do? Nobody ever spoke like that before. Remember they sent the soldiers to arrest him and they come back and they're like, they go, where's he at? He go, nobody ever spoke like that before. They forgot what they were there for. That's what God does. When, when, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It's just what it happens when you actually look to turn to God and turn in his reproof, his rebuke, his chastisement is another way that word can be. It's his chastisement. So think about it when you look at it in the context of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for reproof. His word is the reproof. I was thinking this was right, and then I seen God's word and what he said, and I was reproved. All scriptures profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I love the word correction. That's what he's talking about here, is be corrected, be correctable, receive instruction, receive wisdom. And that word in the Greek for correction means to stand back up again that which was knocked down. They used it in the, in the uh, 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 Greek culture. If there was a busk, like a busk of Caesar that was sitting there and it fell over, they would say, correct that. And what does that mean? It put it back where it, we had designed it to be. And that's what God's word is doing for us. He designed us in the image of God. And so now, with salvation, he corrects us through his word, and we're stood back up again in his house, in his place, in the place we're supposed to be. Why, Greg? Because we're being prepared for every good work. You don't have to be prepared for everything, just the good works that he created in you to walk in. So you have to be faithful to what he's called you to do. Are you turning at his reproof? Why, Greg? Because surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I love this. Listen. Pour out means to gush forth. I mean, he's longing to use his spirit in your life to clothe you, to change you, to, 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 to send you forth. It means to send forth, actually. It's like the oil running down the beard of Aaron. When they pour pure oil, because oil is always a type of the spirit. He wants that spirit to work through you, and all you have to do is surrender to him, and he can. If you will hear his word and say, that way's right, my way's wrong, I'm going to turn. Lord, pour out your spirit upon me. 
And then he says, I will make my words known to you. Now think about this. Here's a real conundrum. Remember David? Remember David, the king? He sinned against God. What did he do? He slept with Bathsheba. There she is pregnant. And he sins and has Uriah killed. They say that he broke all ten commandments in that one sin. And yet the Bible, God says, he's a man after my own heart. What? Why? Because he turned at his rebuke. Nathan, the prophet, brought the word of God to him and said, David, you're the man. And he fell on his face. He repented. He turned at the word of God. And God continued to pour his spirit out upon him. But listen to me. It's not, oh, well, that, if that works like that, then I'll just sin and then I'll apologize later. If you've ever heard some silly Christian say that, I'll just apologize later. It's easier to apologize later. That's not the plan here. The plan here is to learn to obey God, not to sin and then ask for forgiveness. The plan here is to be in the way with God, and Christ never sinned. So his plan wasn't, I'll just sin and then apologize later, ask for forgiveness later. Certainly not. If we had been set free by the Spirit of God, our focus is to go forward and be a man after God's own heart, which we all should be. Do you have a question? Yeah, I remember... A while back I was here, you said that David was Christ-like. Uh, David a, is a type of Christ. He was a type of Christ. What did you mean by that? Well, he's a king. He's on the throne. And, um, I mean, just when you go back and go through First Samuel, Second Samuel, you do everything. His name means beloved. I mean, everything about David. The first king was Saul, and he was setting up his own kingdom. He was selfish. He was doing his own thing. He was a man after his own life, and he was for the devil. And then David comes trusting God. He's, he goes into the valley and defeats the giant in the shadow of death, which is death. So everything about his life. But Christ, even when you have a type, anywhere in the Bible when you have a type, Christ is always the perfect type. So they just shadow it. They, they're, they're a shadow of what Christ would be to show us what Christ is going to do. A rehearsal. Yeah, a rehearsal of it. And then Christ is always a better Christ. And because David sinned, Christ never sinned. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Do you know how bad that would be? Think about it. When you and I are tempted, what can we do? We can trust God and flee like Joseph did. Same word that was used there for Moses. He refused to, to, to enjoy the riches of Egypt. He refused to sleep with uh, Pharaoh's, or not Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar's uh, wife listen listen to me Jesus was tempted in every way like we are yet without sin because he was he could not sin you know how bad that temptation would be see we always think of it the wrong way you and I are tempted and we just give right into it See, think about it. If I was being beaten with a cat of nine tails and they're going, tell me everything you did against Caesar, I'd make up some stuff. I'm, I'm going to stop the beating. If the sin gets too strong and the temptation gets too good, I'm going to dive right in and then ask for forgiveness. Jesus couldn't. Jesus couldn't. He had no ability to sin. So the temptation is greater in his life. That's why he was tempted beyond everything that we could ever be tempted because he couldn't his nature would not allow it he was not born of the first Adam which is where the sin nature comes from 
He was born of God, and there's no lie, there's no sin in God. And so really, it, it's an amazing thought that the temptation could not even be satisfied. You and I can satisfy a temptation. So it's a greater. He's tempted in every way. That's why he's able to, to secure or to help us, aid us when we're tempted. Because his temptation, his beating, his punishment was worse than we could ever imagine. Because he couldn't satiate it. He couldn't change it. He couldn't take care of it. That's a, that's a deep thought. I can't go there no more. i got to quit. <laughs> turn at my rebuke. Repent. Just turn. Go the other way. Agree with God. When his word says this, then he's always right. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. Think about it. When you received the gospel, when you heard that Jesus was Lord and God raised him from the dead, and you turned, you said, I believe that. What did he do? He poured out his spirit upon you. He sealed you, but he wants to give you power to walk this life out. He wants to baptize you with the Spirit. He wants you to always be under the anointing of the Spirit. And as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. Romans 8, 14. I will make my words known to you. Do you want to know the words of God? Do you want to know what God says? Do you know what, want to know what truth is? Then we have to turn. Because you know what happens? You say, well, I already did that, Greg. I already believe. Wait a minute. Now, when he tells you something, when he's trying to sanctify you, and he shows you truth, and you dismiss it, you ignore it, guess what? You quench the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit. You lie to the Holy Spirit. You insult the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit's not upon you. You're in the flesh the whole time now. Until you agree with God and repent and say, that's right, I agree, God. You don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You might still be a child of God. And if you desire to continue in sin, it's even questionable whether you made an emotional commitment or a true commitment. Yes, sir? So I feel like when I turn at that rebuke or whatever, when I, I don't want to make it about me or not like that, but I'm saying that in general, like when I, I do mess up, you know what I mean? I feel like I keep finding myself asking for forgiveness, and, but I still don't feel like God has forgiven me. Or he, he's going to forgive me because I keep overstepping his boundaries. I keep uh, doing what I want to do. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Who are you to say to God that he didn't forgive you? When you believed, he forgave every sin that you ever committed. Because he already knew which ones you were going to commit. That's not something where, you were, as, as Paul says in Romans 6, it's not that we're forgiven so you can go on sinning. Certainly not. Taking his grace for granted. Yeah, but you're condemning yourself. He's not condemning you. Yeah. He's cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. He sets you free to run the race, and you're putting yourself in bondage with your own legal, your own legalistic standards. I'm deceiving myself. Well, you can be, yeah. You're believing the liar and not the truth. The truth says you've been set free. The truth says you've been forgiven. The truth says if you confess, I'll forgive you, and I'll wash you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's part of the sanctification process. But but when you continue to do it on your own and think, oh, no, I better kick myself. I might as well stay wallowing in the mud. That's the flesh. It's all flesh. In the spirit, there's freedom. In the spirit, you don't even, we're way above the law. The law is down here to keep you in line until you receive the spirit. Once you receive the spirit, now the standard is way higher. Thou shalt not commit adultery. No, Jesus said the standard's higher than that. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed it. That's above law. 
The law is just there to keep you in line so you don't die. But nobody was ever saved by the law. We're saved by the Spirit of God. We're saved by the grace of God the same way Abraham was. When he believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so now that you believe, keep turning. Keep believing. Keep walking by faith. It's a walk of faith. But then the enemy gets in and your emotions gets in and the world gets in and says, surely I can't sin and still be saved. Listen, he, didn't, he took the power of sin. He took the penalty of sin. But you still have the nature of sin in you until you see him face to face. But you can kill it. You can get better at defeating it. You can get better at dying daily. You can get better at saying no, no, no. As my, my Bible study leader said, he'd get up every morning and look in the mirror because he'd seen the enemy. And he'd say, no, no, no. I like saying that because I miss Mike. So, so believe truth. Don't believe James. James is a deceiver and a supplanter. And he will deceive you. But believe what Jesus said. He said, I forgave you. If you agree with me, I'll keep forgiving you. But don't practice sin. Because if you practice sin, the love of God is not in you. We're in then on Sundays in John. First John, I mean. Let's move on. Let's close this. People have to go home and eat their chili. Uh, oh. Listen, here's the other end of it. See, Because see, we had sinners enticing. There's this life that you can live. And then right in the middle of that, there's a great big grace that saves you. If you turn, he pours out his spirit. He makes his word known to you. Now what's it say in 24? Look, here's the result of those who do not turn. Here's the result of those who do not believe. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel, my advice, my teaching, my word, and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. It's actually calamity means when your fear comes. See, because the devil fights with fear. When fear comes upon you, when dread comes upon you, God's saying, if you don't turn now, see, he's preparing you today for tomorrow. God gave me one proverb. Your struggles today will be your strengths for tomorrow. If you put them in God's hands, what you're struggling with right now, you're getting wisdom from him, you're getting instruction, you're getting counsel, and then tomorrow you'll be able to counsel somebody of what you walk through by faith. Struggles today can be your strengths for tomorrow if you let God give you wisdom in it. If you turn to him, if you let him pour out his spirit and make his word known to you, he's allowing these things to go on so that you will turn to him, so that you'll cry out to him, so that you'll believe him and trust him. Oh, my goodness. Is that 2020? I, I don't want to. Mm. All right, let's go. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. Can you guys believe that God says this? He's going to mock. He's going to laugh at you. When your terror comes, when your, when your fear comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. See, because if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, instead of the Spirit coming upon you, 
If you ignore God, you don't turn it as rebuke. You can have distress and anguish, which will cause depression and lots of mental things to happen with you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. See, there's a time in our lives where God quits. Remember, he confirmed Pharaoh's heart. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Isn't that faith? Hebrews eleven six, But without faith, it's impossible to please God, for you first must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so now he's saying, you even seek me diligently as... as uh, um, What's Jacob's brother's name? Esau. Esau did with tears, and he got nothing. He got no reward because it was already given to Jacob. Isn't that weird? Because Jacob's name means supplanter, deceiver. Uh, you know, he, he was the liar and the deceiver, but he turned at God's rebuke. He listened to God's word. Esau never did. Esau continued. In fact, when Esau was mad and was repenting and said he was crying, you know what he did? He went out and found another daughter of Ishmael and married Ishmael's daughter, which was the world. He went and married the world again because he wanted to be mean. He was bitter. He was mad. You can't spite God. All you can do is bow down to God and worship God. I'm sorry. We need to get this on. I keep coming up with another thought. You guys are chasing me. Because they hated knowledge. Listen, do you hate knowledge? Knowledge is learning, coming to know. It's building a relationship with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools hate wisdom and instruction. We want to know. Proverbs 1.7. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. See that? I want to choose the fear of the Lord. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Remember that when um, it comes from the same word fear here uh, in the Hebrew. Remember in Genesis 22, when God says to Abraham, take your only son Isaac and go to a place I will show you and sacrifice him. And he takes him to the same place that Calvary is. Three days journey. And he tells his other servants, he said, wait here and me and the lad will go and worship. It's the first time worship is used in the whole Bible. Genesis 22. I'm telling you, we're 22 chapters in before the word worship is ever used in the Bible. 22 chapters in. And they go up on the hill. And as they're going up the hill, here's Isaac carrying the wood. He's got the cross on his back. Here's the father with a knife. And they're going up the hill. And he makes a, he makes a, 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 a little worship altar pit and he lays he binds his son and lays him on it and before he does it his, his son says to him father he says here i am and he says well i see the wood and i see the knife but where is the sacrifice and he said god will provide himself a sacrifice and he binds his son he lays him on the altar and he takes the knife and the lord calls from him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the lad, for now I know you fear God. Listen, he was, he was obeying God. 
This is the fear of the Lord, is to obey God. To obey God is the fear of the Lord. It proves out who you fear because you obey what you fear. I remember when I was a little kid and I'd be walking home at night and the leaves would move. I would obey that noise. I would run. I, I mean, they should use fear in the Olympics because I would run and I would be moving so fast because I was afraid of what was back there moving. And that's what the devil does. He causes you to bow down and worship his fear instead of fearing God. And so it, Abraham, in his mind, supposes, Hebrew tells us, that God would raise him some way. Because Genesis 22 is a complete picture of the cross, the father sacrificing his son and raising him from the grave. And for three days on that journey, he had killed his son. He said, I'm going to obey God. I have learned in my walk with God, my walk under grace by faith, that if God tells me to do something, the, the, the blessing is in obeying. I don't have to figure it out. I just need to obey. The moment God speaks is when I need to obey. And he had figured that out. And he said, I don't know why he's telling me to be like the pagan countries around us who sacrificed their children, but I'm going to go give this because my heart is not tied to this world. I refuse to be tied to this world. And when he, in his heart, said, I'm going to sacrifice my child, God seen it as obedience. And he said, now I know that you fear me. You don't have to understand it to obey God. You just need to obey and surrender to it. So he says here, um, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel. See, God's a wonderful counselor. We're going to learn about that Sunday. He's a wonderful counselor. El Gabor. And despise my every reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. Reap what you sow. And be filled to the full with their own fancies. He'll give you a bunch. Isn't that what he did in the wilderness? They, they, they complained about manna. He gave them so. He said, okay. You tell them in the morning. And then he made this, the wind blow. And then comes all of these birds. So many birds. And, and they ate meat. Till they vomited and it came out of their nose. He gave them, he made them full with their fancies. They wanted to complain and grumble against God who was giving them Jesus, giving them manna from heaven, giving them the bread of life and they complained and he just let them chase and it, it, it flowed out of their face. They vomited. They ate so many fowl. Uh, it's ugly. But that's who we are. We're just like them. We harden our heart we have such a great salvation and we go, well, why didn't you do this? And why ain't you doing that? And where's that? And we grumble and complain instead of being thankful. And he says here, 20 or 32, for the turning away. Hear that? Instead of turning to, turn at my rebuke. Where do you turn? You turn and look at his face. You turn and look at his voice. You turn to God. But instead, the turning away from God of the simple, the seducible, will destroy them. Death culture. See, no matter what's going on in your life, always turn back to God. No matter what's going on in your life, always get involved in fellowship. He says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Listen, be intentional about being in fellowship. Be intentional about being in prayer. Be intentional 
about being in the Word, have a plan to do it, have a place to do it. Because He gave His life so you can have the power to do it. For the turning away of the seducible will kill them, slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. You know what's really funny? You know what that word is in the King James, complacency? Anybody got the King James? The prosperity. That's what it is. It's the prosperity gospel right there. And the prosperity of fools will destroy them. The love of money, coveting after something that you're not supposed to have. Godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul tells Timothy. But the prosperity of fools, you begin to worship it, you begin to go after it, and it kills you. Notice this is all death culture again. Slay, destroy. But here's verse 33, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Contrast again. But, remember what he said over here. Wisdom calls aloud, raises her voice. She cries out in the open gates. She speaks her words. Listen, but whoever listens to me, whoever listens to wisdom, will dwell. That's their house safely. That's salvation. Delivered to safety. And will be secure. There's your security and salvation without fear of evil. See, because if you have wisdom, you have the fear of God. You're obeying God. You don't have to fear evil. There's nothing down here that can bother you because you're safely dwelling and secure in the house of God who provided a perfect salvation. Homework, read chapter 2. Chapter 2, this continues. This doesn't stop here. It just it keeps flowing. And it's all about wisdom because it's all about Jesus. In him we live and move and have our being. What are you worshiping? What are you pursuing? Whose voice are you answering? Listen, you can answer the wrong spirit. You have to understand the character and the nature of God and listen to his voice. Or you can be listening to the spirit of Antichrist. You can be listening to the wrong voice. Look, he just keeps going. My son, if you receive my words. Wait a minute. He, he, he said over here in 21, wisdom speaks her words. My son, if you receive them, make them yours. They're a free gift. His words are there. He makes them known if we'll turn. Treasure them within you. Incline your ear to wisdom. I mean, he just keeps going. Apply your heart to understand this wisdom. I'm like, I'm going to pop. I'm going to pop. Because when you keep going, you keep going. Listen, you can trust God. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He might chastise you because that's part of reproof. That's part of you turning is when you get in your stubborn and your mule neck, he'll put a leash on you and pull you back in because you're his. And he's a good father and he's going to make sure he gets you across the finish line. Stop struggling with him. Stop blaming it on the devil. It's your own choice. It's your own free will. It's your own things that you're feeding yourself and pursuing and you're putting your feet in the wrong places when you already know that's the path of death walk with God be intentional about being in the will of God what have you called me to do what is your spirit telling me to do what is your word telling me to do and stop being intentional you know what the world calls 
Hey, you come down here and say a speech for us. Hey, you want to come down here? We're going to give you a promotion. You get a set at a desk. We go run into the world. What about when God calls? I don't think that's God because I don't want to go to Attica. I don't think that's God. I think I'll just stay in Lafayette. I'm pretty comfortable here. Listen, I, I'm just going to tell you, most of the time when it feels like I don't want to do that, that's your flesh. If you're trying to live for God and, you, and somebody calls you on the phone and says, can you come help me and jump my car and you go, no, that's your flesh. Now, I ain't telling you you have to say yes to everything everybody says. You ain't going to say yes every time. But your flesh doesn't want to serve, doesn't want to take care of, doesn't want to follow God, doesn't want to live. It's an enemy of God. It's at war with God. But when Jesus comes in, wisdom comes in, you have peace with God. And now you are fresh. You're planted by the rivers of water. You're waiting for God to tell you what to do. Let's go. We're, we're soldiers in the army of the living God. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, no one called to be a soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who called him to be a soldier, who enlisted him in his army. My goodness, I'm just going to keep going. Next week, we're going to have Bible study next week. The bulletin says we're not, but next week we're going to have Bible study. The 17th, we're having Bible study. We will be here. Your scripture memory verse is Proverbs 10, 17. I love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 17. Where's my glasses? What's the date today? The 10th? All right. You should be reading that today then. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray, wandering off. See this? He who keeps instruction, when you're keeping it, when you're obeying it, now you know you're in the way of life. I didn't say when you follow your emotions and your feelings and you go, I really feel like the Lord's telling me to divorce my wife and marry my secretary, and now you think I'm keeping instruction. That doesn't line up with the character and the nature of God or the Word of God. You can't go, I like this, so this feels good, and I'm going to follow this, and this must be God because I just feel so good inside about it. No, you need to find out what the truth is and get that wisdom, that instruction, and follow that. Because there's a spirit of Antichrist out there that's trying to get you to follow their instruction. And when you follow their instruction, guess what? It ends in death. If it's not the word of God, it ends in death. There's only one way that's the right way. And he is Christ. He's the wisdom of God. Father, pour out your spirit and have your way with us. Any questions, comments, concerns? Father, help us to meditate on Proverbs 10, 17 this week as you prepare us for study next week. I pray for study time to get back to 2 Kings chapter 12, Lord. What an amazing chapter that reveals what's even going on on the planet today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, help us to continue to turn and to repent. Pour out your spirit upon us. Make your words known to us, Lord. We want to learn. We know that a disciple is a learner of you. So we come, Lord, now with our hearts open. Have mercy on us, Lord. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.